0: A playlist original. How's it, man? Welcome back to another episode of Cheatin' Explains. We are now officially halfway through season one, and I would just like to say thank you so much for all the support you guys have given the show. It's honestly been so cool to do this, and the fact that you guys are like this, and you liking what I'm doing and what I'm giving to you, ah, oh, it just makes it so much better. So thank you so, so much for all the support you guys have given the podcast so far. Today, I'm going to walk you through Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire or Harry Potter 4 if you don't want to watch the movies. That's completely okay. If this is your first episode, I highly recommend going back and listening from episode 1 purely because everything is connected like one long story and I really don't want to confuse you because that defeats the entire purpose of this podcast. Lastly, and again, I hate that I have to say this because the movie came out in 2005 and it makes me question how much has happened since then. Considering we are in a pandemic, we've lived through two, maybe three recessions depending on your age, but heavy, huge spoilers coming your way. We start with the WB Warner Brothers logo on the screen. It's silver, but it's dark, which is pretty much an indication for everything that happens in these movies going forward. That sounds like a spoiler, but I mean it literally. The first time I watched this movie, I couldn't see a thing. It made me question whether I needed glasses or not. A giant python comes out of a stone skull and it slithers out of the mouth of the skull through the cemetery the pile of foreshadowing continues to grow as the python slithers we see a statue of a cloaked hooded skeleton with giant wings and a scythe which is a long stick with a curved blade at the end the same thing that the grim reaper uses we then see the harry potter logo appear in that same dark silver color the clouds gather over the nightfall of the cemetery and we see the grounds keeps of the cemetery in his little cottage and all he wants to do is make himself one cup of tea but he looks up and he sees light coming from one of the houses in the cemetery. Not in his graveyard. So he goes to inspect to make sure that no one is trespassing. As the old man creeps closer to the door, he sees a couple people in a room talking to someone in a chair. We cannot see the person in the chair, but we do see Scabbers, the rat from the last three movies that was Peter Pettigrew, that became a rat again, who's now himself. But anyway, the person in the chair calls Peter Pettigrew Wormtail. Please let me do it now, master. No, Wormtail. The boy is everything. Why does that voice sound familiar? We see another person bow in front of the chair and say, I will not disappoint you, my lord. As we have seen this, the snake slithers past the old man's feet and into the room as we hear the voice say, Send them aside. As the snake slithers onto the chair, the voice says, Megini has just informed me that the old cemetery caretaker is standing right outside the door. Wormtail opens the door. Stand aside, Wormtail, so I can give our guest a proper welcome. Avada Kedavra! A green flash washes over the screen and Harry wakes up from the nightmare he was having. His scar is burning and Hermione is shaking him to wake him up. She also wakes up Ron because they all need to wake up early for some reason. Like they're going to Durban and they need to wake up at three o'clock because someone had the idea to leave the house at four o'clock. The Weasleys, Arthur, Molly, Fred, George, Ginny and Ron, also Harry and Hermione, minus Molly, I just needed to mention her so you didn't forget, are walking somewhere, they have no idea where. It's still very early and then they meet up with Arthur's friend Amos Diggory and his son Cedric Diggory, played by Robert Pattinson. From young wizard to immortal vampire to the man-bat. A true success story. At least we know now why he's such a moody superhero. He's been through a lot. Everyone gathers at the top of a hill and start gathering around an old boot. As Harry says the same thing and asks, why is everyone gathering around that manky old boot? One of the twins says, it's not just any old boot, it's a portkey. Everyone holds onto the boot and starts spinning into the air and then they get sucked into a portal. A portkey is something that can transport witches and wizards between two fixed locations. They all arrive on another hill and we see a giant stadium and people gathering around that same stadium. Welcome to the Quidditch World Cup. It's Ireland versus Bulgaria and the families are staying in tents around the stadium. But this is not a normal tent, this is a magical tent. From the outside, it looks like an average, normal two-person tent. But as Harry walks inside, it's huge. It's bigger than my house, which doesn't make me feel bad at all. Now, I love that tents look better than my own house. But as Harry walks in, he says, I love magic. Even me, Harry. Even me, I like magic. That night, the Weasleys and Harry, and Hermione obviously, are walking to their seats in the stadium. But professional rich kid and part-time spy, Draco Malfoy is boasting about how him and his father got special seats thanks to the Minister of Magic. Don't boast, Draco, says Lucius Malfoy. He looks at Harry and says, Oh, do enjoy yourself while you can. Okay, calm down, Mr Lucius. You don't have to be so dark and mysterious with your foreshadowing. The Irish team enter on their broomsticks and the crowd goes mad. Everyone is going mad. But as the green fans celebrate, here come the Bulgarians. The red team break through the skies and we see the best seeker in the world, Victor Crum, as the crowd roars, Crumb, Crumb, Crumb. Cornelius Fudge, the minister of magic, starts the game with some words in the stadium. Let the match begin. Now for me, The worst part about this movie is that we get just a small taste of Quidditch, and that's it. I have waited four movies, four years at Hogwarts now, and have never seen a Quidditch match. We have seen Harry get lucky in these matches and catch the golden snitch, but we have never seen a full Quidditch match. And the one time we get to see possibly the greatest Quidditch match in the series, we get nothing absolutely nothing. I have seen this movie a minimum of 10 times and the only reason I know that the Irish team won the game is a small line that Fred says. That is it. I apologise for my rant but it's just been on my mind every time I watch that movie that we never actually get to see the Quidditch match and it breaks my heart. After the match, everyone is celebrating in their tents and we hear screaming from the outside. Arthur goes to see what's happening. But when he comes in, everyone needs to go now. People are screaming and running and everything is just on fire. Everyone get back to the portkey and stick together. Fred, George, Ginny is your responsibility. Move! As they all running back, Harry gets separated from the group and gets knocked down and knocked out as he gets beaten under the stampede. He is not really having a good day. While the people are running, we see a group of people marching in black cloaks and silver skull masks setting fire to everything they see. Eventually, when Harry wakes up, he is left alone in the ashes of the World Cup. He sees a man walking in the smoke. It's the same man from the beginning that said, I will not fail you, my lord. He casts a spell into the sky and we see a green skull appear, and from the mouth of the skull, a snake slithers out. It's almost as if they foreshadowed this in the beginning of the movie, when Nagini came out of that stone skull. Also, if I didn't make it clear and it didn't make sense in the beginning, the python from the beginning, the snake, her name is Nagini. And you only know it's a her later on, but I'm just going to tell you it's a her. Anyway, the man hears Ron and Hermione calling for Harry and he disappears. When they eventually find him, men in suits appear around the trio and cast a spell on them. Luckily enough, they get to the floor and the spells miss the trio, otherwise this would have been a very short movie. Arthur comes to the middle to the kids and says, No, that's my son! A man in a black bowler hat comes to them, Which one of you was it? Who of you conjured it? To which Arthur replies, Party. You can't think they did this, they're just kids. As per usual, Harry has no idea what's going on. And to be honest, at 24 years old, I have never related to anyone more than I do right now while reading this script. I too have no idea what is going on, Harry. Same, same. But he asks and Hermione explains that the mark in the sky is his mark. It's the Dark Lord's mark. And the people that were out here setting fire to the rain were death eaters voldemort's followers we cut to the train to hogwarts and hermione is reading the newspaper about the events of the world cup on the front cover is the dark mark which is moving because pictures move in the harry Potter universe or like live pictures also every newspaper is in black and white that should go without saying but i'm just making sure you know harry sees a girl in the train and he instantly falls in love with this girl which Sounds creepy, until you realize that being the chosen one is a full-time job and it's very dangerous. Harry is almost always in a position where he's about to die. He needs to move fast with the ladies. His scar has been burning a lot recently and Hermione tells Harry that he needs to tell Sirius about what happened at the World Cup. For those of you who don't remember, Sirius Black is the guy who can turn into a big black dog wolf thing. He's Harry's godfather and we freed him in the last movie and we spoke about him at length in the last two episodes. Also, his wolf dog thing name is Padfoot. And if you listened at the end of episode 5 and last week's episode where with myself and Fatima, we spoke a lot about the Marauder's Map. Which reads, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. We know Mooney is Remus because he's a werewolf and he turns into a werewolf when there's a moon. Mooney. Padfoot is Sirius because he's a dog and dog's feet are, well, padded, kind of, but his name is Padfoot. And Wormtail, we heard that name in the beginning, Peter Pettigrew. And this shows how close he was to everyone when Sirius and Remus and James and Lily were all younger. And it hurts even more now that we know how close he actually was. He was part of the Marauders and he's the one who betrayed James and Lily. To Voldemort. So of the Marauders map, we know three names, we'll get to the fourth name as soon as possible. As soon as I can reveal it, I'll let you know. Anyway, because that's really sad and all of that just makes me want to cry, Harry sends a letter with Hedwig, his owl, to contact Sirius. The trio arrive at Hogwarts, but they are not the only ones that have come to Hogwarts this year. A huge carriage being flown by Pegasus, or Pegasi is their plural if you didn't know that, and they land at Hogwarts. While that's happening, a huge ship comes out from under the water and on the other side of Hogwarts, they dock. We enter the dining hall where our new angry Dumbledore from the last movie is making an announcement to the students at Hogwarts. Hogwarts will be hosting the Tri Wizard Tournament. Tri meaning three and wizard meaning magic. One of the schools is Beaubatum Academy from France where they teach young witches. It's an all-girls school. Obviously, all the boys at Hogwarts are swooning. They enter the dining hall with their headmistress, Madame Maxime, and she is half giant as well. And Hagrid, the half giant man, has a giant crush on her. <laughs> you see what I did there? Oh, hear what I did there. <laughs> Next enters the Bulgarian all boys school, Dermstrang. Victor Krum is a student from here and he walks in with their headmaster, Igor Kagarov. While everyone is entering, we cut to a man walking outside in the rain with a staff that he's using as a walking stick. And his back that's all we see but we can see he's walking towards the castle we're back in the dining hall and that same guy with the bowler hat is here his name is mr Bartimus crouch and we all call him barty crouch but well, we find out that barty crouch Bartimus crouch is the head of the magical police force if that makes sense and that's why him and his team were first at the scene when the death eaters left the world cup and that's why they almost killed our famous harry potter The guy from the outside that was walking in the rain comes inside to the dining hall and we now know his name is Alistair Moody. He is an aura, a dark wizard catcher. He's one of the best. But they call him Mad-Eye Moody. He has a glass eye with a lens over it and his eye can see and move independently. He's also drinking something out of a silver flask which is a special tool that we'll need to remember for later kids. Barty Crouch then makes the announcement that no student under the age of 17 may participate in the tournament purely because of how dangerous the tournament is. All the students boo and hiss and eh, but Dumbledore screams SILENCE and everyone calms down. They unveil the Goblet of Fire, which is quite literally a giant goblet of blue fire. You put your name on a piece of parchment before Thursday night and then the goblet will choose the competing students. Choose wisely, because if chosen, there is no going back. If chosen, you stand alone. That same night, Kagarov, Eagle, sneaks into the room where the goblet is and he closes the door behind him. That's suspicious. That's weird. We cut to Mad-Eye's first lecture. He's the new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, which Hogwarts goes through like water, but it's fine. We're in the first class and we see Mad-Eye, well, he's a bit unhinged, a bit mad, shall we say. And uh, Mad wasn't describing his eye, it was describing him. We also know that, like I said, Mad Eye is an aura, and they're not just responsible for catching dark wizards, they're also responsible for, well, to try and make this seem a lot lighter than the dark truth violent interrogation of those same dark wizards. He is teaching the students about the three unforgivable curses. They are unforgivable and they are also forbidden. Just using any one of them could give you a one-way ticket to Azkaban Prison. Naturally, Mad-Eye uses all three in front of his students. (laughs) That's not going to cause trauma at all. First, we have the Imperious Curse, Imperio, which allows the user to control its victim and make them do whatever they want the victim to do. As Mad-Eye uses this curse on a bug, he has it go all over the classroom and almost makes it drown itself. He says that so many witches and wizards said that they only followed you-know-who under the influence of the Imperius curse. But how do we sort out the liars? The second curse, the Cruciatus curse, Crucio, causes extreme pain for the victim, torture, again being used on that same bug. Use of this curse makes Neville Longbottom visibly uncomfortable. Now this is a very important detail that I need you to remember for me and especially for Neville. He's been through a lot so I think he deserves this. And lastly, Avada Kedavra! The killing curse. A green flash and the bug is dead. Only one wizard has ever been known to survive it and he's sitting here in this room. I'll give you three guesses as to who Mad-Eye is talking about. And if you guessed three times and didn't say Harry Potter, then you need to go back to episode one because it's ridiculous now. Mad-Eye drinks more out of his flask. Oh alcohol, that's why he's so unstable. We cut to the next day where everyone is putting their names in the goblet. Cedric puts his name in and he's fine. The twins try and put their name in but the cup bounces them across the room for trying to cheat. Dumbledore drew an age line around the goblet to stop underage students from doing anything dumb. And as a punishment, the age line starts to turn the twins into old men. Now this may seem like a throwaway detail that I'm just mentioning for comedic effect, but trust me, it'll make sense. Victor Crumb puts his name in the goblet and he looks at Hermione for the first time. Oh my goodness, Hermione is blushing and swooning and things. It's Thursday and it's time to be selected. The goblet will choose one student from each school. Our first choice is Victor Crumb from Durmstrung. The second choice, representing Bobaton Academy, Fleur Delacour. And our Hogwarts champion, Cedric Diggory. The Tri-Wizard champions have been selected, but, plot twist, the Goblet spits out one last name to be chosen. Take a guess who that person is. Harry Potter. Ugh. Obviously Dumbledore is mad. This is not supposed to happen, especially because Harry is underage, now at this point Ron starts to frustrate me. He irritates the living life out of my body. From now till the end of the last movie, maybe not the end of the last movie, middle of the last movie, Ron annoys me. So if it sounds like I'm biased and angry at Ron, it's because I am. But Ron looks at Harry like, how could you put your name in the goblet of fire? We used to be best buddies, and now we're not. I wish you would tell me why. Even Hagrid is like, ooh, that's not good. They go downstairs into a chamber where all the chosen few gather, and Dumbledore comes down the stairs with his blood pressure going through the roof, saying, Harry, Harry, did you put your name on the Goblet of Fire? Everyone is angry because he's obviously lying, but Harry is technically too dumb to outsmart the Goblet of Fire. Someone had to have done it for him, but he doesn't know who. He's not crazy, he just wants to be a normal kid. Barty Crouch then delivers the bad news. The Goblet of Fire is a binding, magical contract. From this point on, Harry Potter is a Triwizard Champion. Dumbledore, Snape, McGonagall and Mad-Eye meet to discuss what they should do about Harry and Snape suggests to just let things be. See what will happen and why all of this is happening now. That night when the boys are going to sleep, Ron is angry that Harry didn't tell him that he put his name in the Goblet of Fire. Even though he didn't put his name in the Goblet of Fire, because let's be real, being the chosen one is hard enough. Now he must be one tri-wizard, champion the pressure. Someone from the newspaper comes to interview the four champions. Her name is Rita Skeeter, And she comes and she takes Harry in the broom cupboard. That's not, well, not what it sounds like, folks. But we also get Harry's age for the first time in this movie. He's 14 this year. Sirius sends a letter back to Harry a couple days later, telling him that the Ministry has been intercepting owls and that Hedwig is just too recognizable. He says that he should meet Harry in the Gryffindor common room tonight. That night, Harry comes downstairs and Sirius makes his own face appear in the burning coal so that he can speak to Harry in the fireplace. That important mission that Harry was dreaming about when he saw Wormtail and the other guy and the couch and Nagini was all about him. But it was just a dream, right? These are not just coincidences, Harry. Hogwarts is not safe. Kargaroff was a Death Eater and no one stops being a Death Eater. Barty has a heart of stone. He sent his own son to Azkaban prison. Who could have put my name in the Goblet of Fire? I don't know, but whoever it was is no friend of yours. People die in this tournament, Harry. I I don't want to do this anymore. Quite frankly, you don't have a choice. Be careful, Harry. The devils are inside the walls. The next day, while at the lake, Ron is still in a mood about Harry. I don't know why, I don't know what Ron is going through right now, but he's still in a mood. So he tells Hermione to tell Harry that Hagrid is looking for Harry. That night, Harry brings his invisibility cloak to see Hagrid, who has a flower in his shirt and has combed his hair. That's strange. But anyway, we hear a roar in the distance and Harry puts on his cloak as Hagrid instructs him to do so. Hagrid was actually here to meet Madame Maxime, the giant lady. Mm, sneaky links. That's why he was all dressed up. They walk towards the roar and they see a team transporting dragons into crates. Now the dragons are obviously a little bit grumpy because of their technical flight, I guess. So they are breathing fire everywhere. And that's the first challenge. Hagrid says the dragons are terribly misunderstood creatures. But ooh, that horn tail is a grumpy one. The next day Harry is walking and we see that most of the school doesn't like him because they think he cheated even though they don't like him because he's the chosen one and they're not but that's besides the point. He goes to warn Cedric that the first challenge has something to do with dragons. Mad-Eye is also there in the corridors and he takes Harry to his own private room. I hate that all of this sounds so creepy with no context so I apologise but we'll get there. So. Mad-Eye only has one leg, the other leg is a metal prosthetic technically, so when he goes to his office he takes off his prosthetic because it probably hurts and he puts it on his little leg holder on his desk and he sits down in the office. There is also a chest in the same office that screams and shakes. Don't ask, but we'll come to it later in the movie, I promise. So remember it for me, thank you. He's helping Harry prep for the first challenge. So Harry, I hear you're good with a broomstick, one of the best. Yeah, but I'm not allowed to broom. You're allowed a wand. The next day, the tournament begins. The champions are gathered in a tent before the first challenge so they can, you know, s- not stress out. And Hermione comes to see Harry because obviously she's worried. I mean, I personally wasn't worried purely because in the last three years, we've seen Harry kill a basilisk and Dementors and fight Voldemort, but it's fine. She's worried, she's his friend. She sneaks in to hug Harry, but Raytasketa is there and she takes a picture of them, framing it as young love. But before anything starts, the four champions must choose their dragons out of a bag. There are small versions of the very real dragons in the small bag that Barty Crouch is just handing out to everyone. Harry draws his dragon and gets the Hungarian Horntail. It's time for Harry to face his dragon, and in the center of the arena is a golden egg. The task is simple. Get the golden egg without, well, dying, and you win. Because there's a clue in that golden egg that is for the second challenge. You need it. Harry goes into the arena and is immediately attacked by the horntail. tail. He ducks behind a rock and says, Accio Firebolt. Now I need you to remember the spell for the rest of the series. Accio is a spell that brings something to you. Now if you remember from the last two episodes, Harry got a new broom called a Firebolt he's thinking, thank god. He gets his stick and tries to outmanoeuvre the dragon, but the Horntail breaks the chains and the chase is on. Harry eventually gets the Horntail to crash into a bridge somewhere else in Hogwarts and the dragon falls. Harry swoops back into the arena and grabs his golden egg. The first challenge is won. I'd also just like to point out that Harry and the dragon flew out of the arena when all of this went down. Literally no one saw what happened except for us. If there wasn't a camera, we wouldn't know either. Harry could have cheated for all they know, but anyway, that's fine. Afterwards, Harry is being lifted up by his fellow Gryffindors and he opens the egg, which makes a screeching sound, forcing them to drop Harry, and he has to close the egg. Ron is standing there waiting for the people to you know, disperse. Somehow, in a weird way, Ron and Harry make up, even though Ron was the one acting like one mad thing and he never actually apologized, which frustrated me. About a month has passed and Ron gets a package from Mama Weasley and we think it's for Ginny. They're dress robes. For what? We cut to McGonagall explaining that the Yule Ball is a tradition of the Triwizard Tournament that will be held on Christmas Eve. It is something that the tournament hosting school does to bring together all the schools and show a sign of unity and friendship. But the Yule Ball is first a dance. And obviously everyone is feeling a bit awkward. They're 13 to 16. I was pretty awkward back in the day. Sound like an old man. Back in the day. Everyone is feeling this you know, awkwardness, except for Neville, who actually steps up. So Harry needs to ask someone to the dance. He can't go alone. So remember that girl Harry saw on the train way, way back her name is Cho, and she 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 annoys me sometimes, but it's fine. I, I get over it. So Harry finally gets the courage he needed to ask her. He can fight basilisks and dragons and things, but no girls are too much. But he asks her, and she says no. It's probably easy to fight the dragon, clearly. Actually, she says it's worse than no. She says that someone has already asked her, but she's really sorry. That's just a knife in the heart, Jesus. Ron also needs to ask someone and as a last resort, he turns to Hermione. Well, Hermione, you're a girl. It's bad if I go alone, but for you it's just sad. Yes, those are the words that came out of Ron's mouth. Now do you see why he irritates me? Hermione is obviously angry and she storms off. Now in Gryffindor, there are these two Indian students, Indian girls. You see, brown kids can be wizards too. To all your parents that said this is the devil's work and that Harry Potter is witchcraft, Show them the brown kids in the movie. Show them! But these two Indian sisters really love Harry. So Harry uses his fame to his advantage for once and asks these two girls for him and Ron. Christmas Eve has arrived and it's time for the ball. McGonagall comes to Harry and asks, Are you and Miss Patel ready for the dance? What dance? It's tradition that the four champions start the ball and have the first dance. Harry freaks out but that is cut short by pure heartbreak. He sees Cho with Cedric and he experiences his first heartbreak. Hermione walks down the stairs in a true Cinderella dress and it's just wow. And she is with Crumb. Everyone is happy except for Ron and Harry. Even Hagrid is dancing with Madame Maxime and Dumbledore is dancing with McGonagall. It's so cute, man. After the ball, Harry has another nightmare about the cemetery and the same angel of death. Only this time, Harry is the caretaker. Harry! At last, A cadaver he wakes up and his scar is burning. It's a couple of days to the second challenge and Harry still has no idea what to do. But because he helps Cedric in the first challenge, Cedric returns the favour and tells Harry to take his egg to the bathhouse and just sit there with the egg. Harry takes the advice. Besides, he needs to relax a little bit after all the nightmares he's been having and experiencing his first heartbreak. At the bathhouse, there is a stained glass mermaid window that moves like all the other pictures. Moaning Myrtle is there as well, and she likes to see Harry in the bath, with the bubbles, and no clothes. While writing the script, I genuinely considered making a Moaning Myrtle joke, but uh, I think you can use your imagination. Myrtle tells Harry to put the egg under the water, because that's what Cedric did, and we hear the clue to the next challenge. Come seek us where our voices sound, we cannot sing above the ground. An hour long you'll have to look to recover what we took. Harry comes up for air and asks, Myrtle, are there people in the Black Lake? The day before the challenge, Harry is with Hermione in the library trying to figure out how Harry is going to breathe underwater for an hour. Mad-Eye says that they need to rest, but makes Neville help Harry pack up all his books. Harry is clearly not in the mood for Neville's cuck tonight, but Neville says something that actually is helpful right now. Have you heard about gillyweed? Before the challenge, Neville gives the gillyweed to Harry. Dumbledore explains the challenge. Last night, something of value was stolen from each of the four champions. Each student will have one hour to retrieve what has been taken. While Dumbledore is speaking, Mad-Eye forces Harry to eat the gillyweed. Harry starts choking and he falls into the water. But he can breathe. He grows fins and webs between his fingers and flippers for feet. Neville, on the other side, is panicking because he gave him the gillyweed and now he just saw him choke under the water oh my god i've killed harry potter but harry's fine we cut to fleur delacour swimming in the black lake with a bubble around her head so she can breathe but while she's swimming she gets attacked by something it gets so bad that she has to be rescued she is unable to continue the second challenge harry gets to the underwater palace of the mer people and they have taken people that are closest to the four champions hermione fleur's sister cho and ron each champion has to rescue one of them. When Harry tries to rescue Hermione and Ron, the people hold a knife to his throat and say only one. But the people get scared when they see a shark coming towards them. The head of the shark and a body of a person. It's Crumb. He cuts Hermione's rope and he rescues her. Cedric comes and he is able to rescue Cho. Harry looks around, but Fleur is not coming for her sister. He knows something is not right. So he unties Ron and the sister and makes sure they float back to the top. But as Harry is trying to get back up, he is attacked by the same things that were trying to kill Fleur. Harry is struggling and the gillyweed is running out. Immobilis! He is able to stun all these underwater demon things. But Harry is still sinking. He doesn't know what to do. He points his wand to the sky. Ascendio! Harry is able to bring himself up out of the water. Dumbledore awards first place to Crumb, meaning that he gets to start the third challenge first. But because Fleur didn't finish, and for rescuing Fleur's sister, Harry is awarded second place. After the challenge, Barty crouches talking to Harry and Mad-Eye comes to them saying, I hope you're not trying to groom Mr. Potter to join the Ministry. The last boy that went in there never came back at all. Mad-Eye looks at Barty and licks his lip. Immediately, Barty has a scared look on his face. His face has been washed in fear. I want you to remember him licking his lips. It's almost like a tick that Mad-Eye has. That night, Hagrid is walking with the trio in the forest. They are celebrating Harry's win in the second challenge. In the distance, we hear Hagrid say, The youngest try wizard champion ever! Yay! But while walking, Harry sees a body on the floor. He gets closer and we see that Barty Crouch is dead. Later that night, Harry is in Dumbledore's office. They need to discuss what happened. He's with Mad-Eye and Fudge. So Mad-Eye and Fudge need to speak to Dumbledore outside quickly. Harry is left alone in the office and he accidentally bumps into a cabinet which opens up and a goblet similar to the Goblet of Fire reveals itself to Harry. This is called a Pansive and it is very, very important. It is probably one of the most important artifacts in the series so please remember it for me going forward. Harry moves closer and notices that the goblet looks like there is water in it and a glowing silver light. He gets closer and gets sucked straight into the Pansive. He falls down and lands in a room with wooden benches, so he sits on one of the benches. It's a memory, one of Dumbledore's older memories. It's very similar to the Chamber of Secrets when Harry got sucked into the book, only this time, because he's using the Sieve, the memory is in colour. Do you see why I tell you to listen to all the episodes so far? Everything is so connected, and if you didn't listen to the episode 4 that I did, you would not know any of this. We are in a courtroom and Igor Kagarov is on trial for being a Death Eater and having ties to Uncle G. Voldemort. Barty Crouch is acting as judge for the trial. Igor is there to give information to the Ministry so that he can get out of Azkaban. He tells everyone about Severus Snape being a Death Eater with ties to Voldemort. But Dumbledore interjects that Snape was a Death Eater but always acting as spy to infiltrate the Dark Lord's army. The pile of foreshadowing is getting so big, it's almost over 9,000! But they know about Snape, and that's not enough to do anything. Mad-Eye is there, Reita Skaita is there, and other Ministry members are also there. Then Khagorov drops a bomb. I know someone who still to this day is connected to the Dark Lord and was implicit in the use of the Cruciatus Curse on the Longbottoms, Neville's parents. Who is this person? Barty Crouch, Jr. Everyone is shocked. Even I was shocked the first time. Oh my god. So much is happening here, but so let me just explain and break something down for you. Now we know why Neville was so uncomfortable with the Cruciatus curse in class. He knows his parents were tortured. This is also why Barty Crouch had to send Barty Crouch Jr, his son, to Azkaban. That's why Sirius said that Barty Crouch had a heart of stone. He was forced to do it. Barty Crouch Jr. is in the room with everyone on trial and he tries to escape but is caught. He looks at his father with rage. Hello father, as he licks his lips. We get a close-up of Barty Crouch Jr. and he is the same guy from the beginning of the movie that said I will not fail you my lord and he's the same guy who cursed the sky at the World Cup and made the dark mark appear. Oh, yo, things are getting so mad. Harry comes back into the real world and Dumbledore is waiting for him. Harry tells him about the dream with Wormtail and Barty Crouch Jr and Uncle G. Voldemort and Nagini. Dumbledore gives him honestly the best advice you could give anyone that is panicking right now. It's the best, honestly. He says, Don't panic. Just relax. Try not to dream about it. Don't dwell on it. My god. It's like telling your girlfriend to calm down when she's mad. So helpful. Harry is walking back from Dumbledore's office to the Gryffindor common room when he walks past Kargaroff and Snape in a potion storage cupboard and Kargaroff is showing Snape the dark mark on his forearm. It's a tattoo that all past and present Death Eaters have. It's the dark mark, just the tattoo. The mark is alive and Kargaroff is telling Snape that something is wrong and you know what this means. Seeing Harry, Kargaroff leaves but Snape tells Harry to stay Potter. Someone has been stealing ingredients from Snape's potion stock and making Polyjuice Potion. That same potion that the kids made in Chamber of Secrets that made them turn into other people. Obviously Snape accuses Harry and his friends of stealing the things. Snape is like one auntie that doesn't like you. Everything is your fault. Her kids are rubbish things and doing drugs. Your fault for being a bad influence. Snape also mentions a truth serum. When taken, you spill your deepest and darkest desires. Snape threatens Harry by saying, A few drops could accidentally end up in your morning punch. It's time for the third and final challenge. It's a maze. The champions have to navigate through the maze and find the Triwizard Cup. First to touch the cup wins the tournament. If any of the four champions are in distress, all they need to do is shoot red fireworks into the air from their wand and one of the petroleum professors will come and extract them from the maze. Dumbledore talks to the four champions in a huddle, telling them to please be careful. People change in the maze. As Crump finished the last challenge first, he will be the first to enter the maze. Cedric hugs his father because it's time to start. They enter the maze and the maze closes behind them. We get an overhead shot of the maze and the thing is massive. I'm talking soccer stadiums massive. The maze is quite literally alive. Now, what happens in this part of the movie, like in the maze, it isn't important, not at all. It doesn't really move the plot forward at all, purely because there isn't another challenge after this. But because of that, let me just talk about something that really bugs me about the Tri-Wizard Cup. Myself and Fatima will discuss this at length next week, but let me give you some context. The Tri-Wizard Tournament is a spectator sport. It's just like any other sport, like Quidditch. There needs to be an audience. So the first challenge was in an arena. The audience sat around the dragons, yada, yada, yada. The second challenge, they were set up wooden stands in the middle of the lake so that the audience members could stand there and wait for the champions. And this one, they're all sitting outside at the entrance of the maze. Now, how the hell is anyone supposed to see anything? Like I said at the first challenge, no one saw what Harry did. They just saw him fly out and fly back. That's it. That is the same as going to a stadium to watch a soccer match but the players are playing indoor soccer at home and someone has a camera maybe not even a camera because they couldn't see anything how does this make sense it hurts my brain every time i think about the fact that there is an audience for this entire tournament that they don't see anything oh it, it hurts me but because i love you and i want you to have the full experience let me break down the third challenge quickly again The maze just isn't important, so I'm going to do this quickly. Everyone is inside. Fleur doesn't make it. She gets attacked. Crumb gets cursed and his eyes are white because he got cursed. And he attacks everyone that isn't Harry. Weird, but okay. He attacked Fleur. He attacks Cedric, Cedric wins. Harry and Cedric run so the maze doesn't eat them. They see the cup and run to it. Cedric trips, Harry thinks he should leave him to the maze but Harry is like, nah, I can't let Batman die. Who's going to protect Gotham? He saves him, they get to the cup and argue as to who should take it because Harry saved Batman and Batman feels bad together one two three they touch the cup as the maze is closing behind them and trying to kill them and they teleport out of the maze that is literally everything that happens in the maze i condensed like a 20 minute scene to a couple seconds literally that is all that happens but they land somewhere on a hilltop and the cup falls with them and lands a couple meters away from the boys cedric looks at the cup and realizes it's a portkey harry however is more concerned about where they are this place seems familiar but he's not sure why he keeps walking and we see gravestones, which is a red flag, but he keeps walking and then he sees it. And he makes that same face when we hear the keys to the door turn and we haven't done any of our chores. We didn't put the meat in the freezer. We're about to die. That same face. Where all the color gone, same face. He sees that Angel of Death statue from his nightmares. Carved in the stone in front of the Angel of Death says Tom Riddle. Cedric, get back to the porky. There is a cauldron in front of the statue and the torches light up around the cemetery. Cedric is on high alert now. Wormtail is walking out from one of the tombs in the cemetery holding a baby Voldemort. That's who was in the chair. Baby Voldy! Cedric holds his wand against Wormtail ready for the fight. Kill the other one! Baby Voldemort? Avada Kedavra! Wormtail kills Cedric just like that. Batman! No. Harry's scar starts burning again, and Wormtail makes the angel statue come to life and hold Harry as their hostage. Now, because Voldemort is a bit of a stinky poo, Wormtail just dumps him into the cauldron. The only thing that was missing from that entire scene was that kum sound effect. The ritual has begun. Now, just a quick tidbit of information. Voldemort's name is Tom Riddle. We know that from the Chamber of Secrets movie. We also know that Voldemort's father's name was also Tom Riddle. We know that from the Chamber of Secrets movie as well. So, this Tom Riddlegrave is his father's, okay? Just so that you don't get confused, because I only figured that out like last month when I was re-watching the movies for this podcast. Okay, cool, thank you. Wormtail is prepping the Voldemort-flavoured soup so he can start the ritual. Bone of the father unwillingly given, and Wormtail drops a bone into the cauldron. Flesh of the servant willingly sacrificed, and Wormtail cuts off his own hand into the cauldron. Wormtail takes a knife and cuts Harry's forearm, blood of the enemy forcibly taken. And he drips the blood from the knife into the cauldron. The cauldron starts to bubble and smoke starts to overflow out of the cauldron. Black smoke starts to form and create a human figure out of the smoke. After 13 long years, Lord Voldemort has finally returned. He uses his wand and touches Wormtail's dark mark on his forearm. The tattoo starts to move, just like it did in the sky at the World Cup and black streams of smoke come down and land in a circle around Voldemort. The Death Eaters have arrived. Now, when the Death Eaters arrive, Lord Voldy is tuning them out. He is angry, angry. Thirteen years it's been, not one of you tried to find me. Voldemort rips the masks off the Death Eaters, naming and shaming them, bringing each of them to their knees. Not even you, Lucius. Plot twist. So much happens in this movie that sets up the future movies and the franchise and everything else. So I really hope you guys have been paying attention and enjoying everything so far because it just gets so much better. Oh my god. I did, my lord, says Wormtail. Out of fear, not loyalty, but still. And Voldemort gives him a silver hand to replace the one he cut off. Voldemort goes to inspect Cedric's dead body. What a shame. Such potential wasted as he puts his foot on Cedric's face to turn his face away from the ground. Don't touch him, Harry screams. Ah, Harry Potter, I'd almost forgotten you were here, the boy who lived. Would you truly like to know how I lost my power 13 years ago? When dear sweet Lily Potter cast herself between us that night, she shielded you with the ultimate protection. It was love, I." could not harm you. But now I can touch you. As Voldemort puts his fingers on Harry's scar, he laughs while Harry screams from the pain. Voldemort releases Harry from the statue. Get your wand, Harry. Show me what they've been teaching you at school. I'm sure they taught you how to duel. You know how it is. First, we bow to each other. Oh, come now, don't be shy. I said bow as Voldemort uses the Imperious Curse to make Harry bow. Harry is struggling to fight back, and Voldemort uses the Cruciatus Curse to torture Harry. Harry is able to get away and hides behind one of the gravestones. Harry takes a deep breath. It's time to face his demons. Again, he wasn't this calm when he was talking to girls, but ooh, the Dark Lord is nothing. Anyway, they face each other. Avada Kedavra! And Harry casts back Expelliarmus! When they cast their spells, something interesting happens. Remember in the very first episode and movie, Harry goes to Ollivanders who says, It is very interesting that this one should choose you when its brother gave you that scar. Harry's wand and Voldemort's wands are twin wands. They're brothers. They are connected. And that's exactly what happens. When the spells were cast, the wands connected, creating a bubble around Voldemort and a bubble around Harry. As the spells collide, Harry is able to see all those who have died in front of him, his parents and Cedric. His parents tell him to get to the portkey. Once they disconnect, they can give him a couple seconds to escape. Cedric asks Harry to take his body back to his father. And then Lily tells Harry to let go. Harry is able to change the direction of his wand and the spell, breaking the connection. When that happens, the ghosts of the past form a thick smoke around Voldemort so he can't see anything. Harry runs to Cedric's body. The cup comes to Harry and he's able to teleport back to the maze, escaping Lord Voldemort. Voldemort, understandably, is just a tiny bit upset at this point. Visible confusion. Harry has beaten him four times at this point and um, Harry did this all while still not being old enough to even drink. Is Voldemort a good villain at this point? Harry ends up at the entrance to the maze and everyone is cheering for Harry because he won. Technically, because, you know, all the other players or champions were eliminated. I'm so sorry, Cedric. But everyone is cheering until Fleur notices that Cedric is dead and she screams. And the part that breaks my heart is when Amos, Cedric's father, comes and screams. He's just lost his son. And that part breaks my heart every single time I watch this movie. Harry does not want to leave Cedric's body, but Mad-Eye decides it's better to get Harry out of there now. He takes Harry back to the office so that Harry can at least mourn in peace. Harry tells Mad-Eye that the cup was a porky and about Voldemort. What was it like? What was he like? Mad-Eye asked. Mad-Eye starts to freak out a little bit because he doesn't have his silver flask. You see, alcoholic the swannies, man. Were there others? In the graveyard, were there others? Harry looks confused, looking back at Mad-Eye and saying, I don't think I said anything about a graveyard, professor. Mad-Eye looks back at Harry. Do you think that giant oaf would have showed you the dragons if I hadn't told him to? Do you think Cedric would have told you about the egg if I hadn't shown him how to do it? I was the one who gave Neville the book that led him to Gillyweed. Now the connections I'm about to make for you are very very difficult unless you are paying very close attention to the movie. And because you're not watching the movie, I'm going to make these connections for you. Mad-Eye was the one who put Harry's name in the goblet. He was the one who cursed crumb in the maze and he was also the one who tampered with the triwizard cup turning it into a portkey everything that has happened was because mad eye wanted it to happen and mad eye was also the one who killed barty crouch senior and that'll make sense in a second mad eye advances towards harry but dumbledore and snape burst into the room and pin mad eye to a chair as they pin him down snape drips a little bit of that truth potion serum into mad eye's mouth and Mad Eye's skin starts to bubble as he starts to change back into his normal self, revealing Barty Crouch Jr. Somewhere between Mad Eye appearing in the rain and him entering the castle, Barty Crouch kidnapped him and became Mad Eye to gain Harry's trust. And something that Barty does is lick his lips a lot. He is the only person who does this, and that's why Barty Crouch Sr. looks so shocked when he saw Mad Eye lick his lips after the second challenge. They all look at the chest that has been screaming and shaking and Dumbledore unlocks the chest. Inside is the original Alistair Moody without his leg or his eye. He is just going through the most right now. Barty Crouch says, I'll show you mine if you show me yours to Harry. He exposes his now moving dark mark. Dumbledore lifts Harry's sleeve revealing the cut that Wormtail made, a straight line cut down his forearm with blood in the shape of an S going down. Exactly like the Dark Mark, just obviously not as detailed, the Dark Lord has returned. Also, I would just like to point out that Snape never said sorry to Harry for accusing him of theft, but that's just me being petty. As the days go by, they hold a memorial service for Cedric in the dining hall, and Dumbledore reveals that it was Lord Voldemort who killed him. The Ministry of Magic doesn't think that they should know this. But Dumbledore says that lying to the students would disgrace Cedric's name. It would go against everything that Cedric lived for and it would obviously defeat the purpose of what he died for. The year is almost done but going home just doesn't seem right considering everything that's happened. Harry goes to see Dumbledore who admits that he put Harry in danger by not doing anything in the beginning. Harry tells him about the ones connecting that night at the cemetery and that he saw his parents. Dumbledore reveals a line to Harry but I feel like it's More to the viewer. Dark and terrible times are ahead. As the pile of foreshadowing continues to grow, the last day of school, the girls return back to Beaubaton Academy and the boys back to Durmstrung. The trio walk along one of the bridges that lead away from the courtyard at Hogwarts. And this bridge, believe it or not, is very important for a future episode. So when I say the bridge that leads away from the courtyard, it's the same bridge that I will talk about later. Just, I have no idea how else to describe it to you. And then Hermione asks the boys everything is going to change now isn't it oh really Hermione what gave that away and with that we end the fourth movie so much has happened in this movie and it's so good just the thought of it moving the story forward from the first three movies this is like the bridge between the first three movies and the rest of the series so much happens here and it's just ah, it's so good chef's kiss Thank you so much for listening to this episode and to the podcast in general it really does mean the most to me like when i look at the statistics of our podcast and the people listening it's it's so much fun honestly i just wish i could hear from you guys and your opinions of what you think i think that would be so much fun if there were like a comment section but um thank you so much if you haven't please go listen to the rest of the episodes to get the full story or go watch the movies i encourage that root and then coming to listen to the podcast and then you can see why we love them so much but please come back next week to catch myself and Fatima go deeper into this movie and to the connections made from the first three movies we have a lot of fun and just we get into a lot of things that I couldn't really do here but if you feel like that's too far away you can find me on youtube instagram and tiktok at cheat and ketty that's c-h-e-a-t-o-n-k-e-t-t-y no caps no spaces thank you so much for listening and you'll hear from me next week friday bye everyone